You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. One of the things I appreciate about the Bible is that it is the most honest book that's ever been written. Much like our lives, it doesn't talk about suffering in just one chapter or one book. Suffering is woven through most chapters in many, if not all, of the books. And so as we come to the letter to the Ephesians, we're going to learn about suffering and hardship and affliction through a man named Paul. Now, two things that are true of your life and mine, same were true of him. Sometimes we are the cause of affliction in others, and sometimes they are the cause of affliction in us. The Apostle Paul certainly caused suffering in others. We first meet him in Acts chapter 7. Paul is overseeing the murder of one of the first church deacons, a man named Stephen. But soon afterwards, he meets Jesus. And he turns from being one of those that causes suffering for others to where he himself is now suffering because of his love and service to the Lord. So remember when he writes this letter, he is uh, separated from his friends in Ephesus. He's probably in jail in Rome. And he's writing to them and wanting them to learn from his experiences what it's like to live through pain and suffering and hardship. And in case you didn't know it, the Bible is filled with suffering. Laments fill up much of the Bible. In fact, about one-third of the Psalms, that's about 50 of the 150 Psalms are laments. This is about people that are hurting and crying out to the Lord in the midst of their pain and grief. Also, almost all of the Old Testament prophets have within folks that are crying out to God because they're hurting. So the Bible is very honest that suffering is real. And suffering comes to all God's people. And you need to know that. Because this would be in contrast to anyone who falsely declares that if you love Jesus and you live a pretty good life, you shouldn't suffer. We know Jesus suffered the most. And he suffered horrifically and he suffered unjustly. And the good news is that one day Jesus will ultimately end all suffering. But until then... As we live in a world filled with suffering, it's good to know that we've got a God who's not immune to it or separated from it. Instead, we have a God who entered into it and he tastes and experiences and he uh, identifies with us in the midst of our pain and suffering and affliction and hardship. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this, ever thought about this, but there are many different types of suffering mentioned in the Bible. 
The first is the one I'll refer to as original sin suffering. This is where suffering happens just because you're human, just because you live in the world. The world is simply a broken place, and we inherit the sin of Adam and Eve. It's why there's death, and we say goodbye to those we love. It's why there's sickness. It's why as we get older, our bodies wear out. It's why this world just isn't what it's supposed to be. Another kind, consequential suffering. This is where, to use Paul's own language elsewhere, you reap what you sow. You eat poorly, you're in ill health. You drink too much, you blow out your liver. You spend too much, you go into great debt. You don't go to class, you flunk out of school. You don't show up for work, you lose your job. You yell at your boyfriend or girlfriend, and lo and behold, they don't turn into your spouse. It's because the mess you've made of your own life, there are sins that you've committed. Then there is demonic suffering. This is where Satan and his minions just try to get at God's people. So this is maybe a form of sickness. It may come in the form of torment. It may be night terrors. It may be continuous internal accusations, you know, like, you're not good enough. Man, you call yourself a Christian? The Apostle Paul and or the church at Ephesus must have experienced this. By the time we get to chapter 6, this is the kind of suffering that he focuses on. Another kind of suffering is victim suffering. This is where someone sins against you. You didn't do anything wrong. They just have harmed you. Someone has perpetrated some evil, some sin against you. This is where people are attacked, children abused, women mistreated, men do violent things one to the other. Someone did something that was just wrong. You didn't deserve it. In no way should you have endured it. But they have harmed you in some way. They've sinned against you. A fifth kind of suffering is what I'll refer to as communal suffering. This is where you're part of a larger group that's suffering. Maybe it's a nation or a tragedy that has struck an entire community. There are sure to be others. But one final one I'll mention is disciplinary suffering. This is where, for a believer, God just simply allows some affliction. Not to punish, up, to grow you up. And some of that is going on in the life of Paul, and some of that is going on in the church at Ephesus. And for some of you, the tough 
season that you're going through is still under the loving hand of God. He's trying to mature you, correct you. He's allowing some hardship in order to motivate you, inspire you. Okay. Because I love you, I'll give you a bonus one. It's sermonic suffering. It's been said that some in this church have experienced this affliction. Okay, that's a made-up one. You're like, oh, man, I was even taking notes. But there is biblical foundation for that one. In Acts chapter 20 is the story of Paul. He's in the city of Troas, and he's, he's preaching until midnight. One of those in attendance is a man named Eutychus. He's sitting in a window. Paul preaching to midnight. He's sleeping. In, he's in a window. He falls asleep. Not a great combination. He falls three stories to his death. Paul stops preaching, goes down, raises him, goes back up and continues preaching until dawn. The question is, what do you do with your suffering? First, you have to try to categorize it. What kind of affliction am I experiencing? And when you're dealing with someone else, you need to understand these categories so you can help them. Because if they come up to you and say, I'm really hurting. Now, you because of a sin in their life, your response could be, well, you need to repent. You're shipwrecking your whole life. If it's because there's been some sin against them, well, you don't say that same thing. If they're hurting because it's something demonic, you pray for them. If they're hurting because someone they love is hurting, you comfort them. You see how it works. Otherwise, what you provide a general diagnosis for the wrong kind of suffering, well, that's what Job's friends do. He loses his kids. He loses his wealth. About the only thing he has left is his wife, and she's not real helpful. He's sitting in misery, and his friends come up to him and say, okay, let's hear it. You've committed a sin. And this I mean, look what happened. You've got to repent. What they don't understand is that it's not sin in Job's life at that moment that he's suffering. There are other aspects to what he's enduring. So you and I need to understand our own suffering so that we can understand how by the grace of God to endure it and then suffering so that we can comfort and counsel others. Okay, that was a pretty long introduction to this text. Well, there's still more. There are three things the Apostle Paul wants us to learn about affliction and suffering. The first is this. You may have affliction for others' good. You may be afflicted for others' good. Now, I know what you're thinking. You mean to tell me I'm suffering so that someone else can be blessed? 
No, that's not what I'm saying, and nor was that what the Apostle Paul is saying. See, here's what typically happens when we are suffering and we're hurting. Our gaze turns inward, and then we lose sight of others. It becomes all about me and my troubles, and no one else has ever experienced what I'm dealing with and left. That inward focus becomes resentment and bitterness and discouragement and even depression. And what I'm amazed by is the fact that here's the Apostle Paul. He's in jail, not because he did something wrong, but because he won't stop talking about Jesus. He's separated from his friends. And what does he do? He starts by talking about others. Here's how he, as Ephesians 3 opens, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. What Paul is saying is that his affliction is purposeful. He continues. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. The non-Jews and the Jews together are heirs, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul is saying. I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. I'm in jail because I love and serve Jesus, but this is for others good. He's saying, I'm suffering for you Gentiles. Now, we need to understand this. Prior to his conversion into Christianity, Paul hated Gentiles, those are the non-Jews. He would never have been empathetic or compassionate with those who didn't share his racial, cultural, religious heritage. And then Paul meets Jesus. And he realizes it's no longer about Jew or Gentile. It's all about Jesus. And he gets a new identity. And he's reconciled with those who don't share his religious, cultural heritage. And the calling on his life is that the whole world come to know Jesus. And so Paul is saying, I'm suffering because I want people to meet Jesus. He just finished saying that many people, for them, Jesus is still a mystery. You know what that means? They don't know him. They've not met him. You and I walk through our lives sometimes totally unaware that people around us don't know and love Jesus. For them, he is still a total mystery. Paul is saying, I'm in jail because 
I'm in jail because God wants people to know Jesus. And my suffering is an opportunity for me to testify about him. All of a sudden, people are paying attention to Paul. And they're starting to say, hey, did you hear about the pastor who's in jail? And do you know why he was imprisoned? Well, he seems to insist that a man named Jesus is God. He thinks that we're all sinners in need of a Savior and that this Jesus died on a cross, rose to life, is ascended back into heaven, and he calls all people everywhere to repent. And it doesn't matter what race, tribe, language, group, we can all surrender our lives to Jesus. Paul's whole goal is to get the word out about Jesus. And so his first understanding of his affliction is that we could be afflicted for others' good. It could help other people. It could introduce others to Jesus. So here's the question for you and me in this section. How can you and I use to cause others to know Jesus? For those of you that are suffering, this is a powerful opportunity to be a witness. I mean, look, your suffering, your, your hurts, the afflictions you're enduring, they're going to cost you a lot in life. They're going to take a lot of your time and energy. They're going to consume a lot of your life, so why waste them? Let's invest them in others. And I don't mean this to sound trite or trivial. It's just that whatever you're going through can be meaningful and purposeful. Number two, Paul says that you may be afflicted for your own growth. So number one, your affliction, your suffering could help others. And number two, it could help you grow and mature. Here's more of our reading. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. What we see here is Paul is suffering also maturing. He's growing. Do you see that? He says, I minister by God's grace. There's maturity in that statement. He could say, hey, I'm Paul. Surely you've heard of me. You know me, right? I mean, I, I'm well known. I've got a great education. You should, you should certainly listen to me. I've got great insight and wisdom and understanding and Instead, what he says is, my ministry is by the grace of God. We see him maturing and, and growing. He says, everything is the working of his purposes. The churches that get planted, the scriptures that get written, the lives that are changed, the people who are saved in Paul's ministry, 
he says, it's all by God's power. Anything that happens, it's all by God's power. Again, there's humility there, and he's growing and he's maturing. He says he's the least of all the saints. Now, he knows he's a sinner, that he needs God's grace, and he knows he's no better than anyone else. He's not comparing himself to others and say, man, I'm a good He's comparing himself to Jesus. And he says, I'm the least of all of God's people. The reason I get to do what I get to do is by God's grace and God's power. I know some of you right now, day by day, you're just barely hanging on. I know some of you, Depression and discouragement and despair. I know the last thing you want to hear, more points and principles. But God could be using this time to make you more like Jesus. And let me say this. If one of the great goals of your life is to become more like Jesus, even though what you're going through is a very difficult time, and I don't want to make light of this, it could be a wonderful time. What I mean by that is that it beats bitterness. It beats wasting suffering. Look, if you could keep two things in mind. One, that God could use these painful moments. God could use this uh, devastating story of your life to encourage others. And that God could help you learn and grow by His power and grace. And then Paul's final point is that sometimes we are afflicted and it's for God's glory in the midst of it. I want you to see what he does here. He says that God could take those worst moments, those worst times... And turn them into something good, something actually wonderful. Here's how he says it, beginning in verse 10. He says, His intent, that is God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Is he saying... In the midst of your affliction and suffering, I don't want you to grieve. Is that what he's saying? No. Is he saying in the midst of your affliction and suffering, I don't want you to be sad? No. Is he saying in the midst of your affliction and suffering, I don't want you to talk about it? Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying, please don't lose heart. 
you know what happens to people who lose heart, who get discouraged? They don't fight for their marriage. They don't fight for their kids. They don't fight for their health or joy or future. Don't lose heart. You see, there's something worse than being afflicted. That's being afflicted and losing heart. Are you there? Are you losing heart? Are you ready to give up and and give in? In verse 13, Paul says, I ask you not to be discouraged. Apparently, that's a choice. That's, That's a decision that you get to make. Perhaps in Ephesus, the people were losing heart. And here is Paul, a guy who used to travel up to 20 miles a day in ministry. He's been beaten. The marks of his body, the beatings, are are there. He's been shipwrecked, left for dead. He's separated from his friends. And yet... He knows he's far away from Ephesus. That church is struggling. The people are losing heart. Paul tells them, please don't lose heart. Paul isn't losing heart. He says, I'm suffering, but there's a glory here. We learn something about the character of God in the suffering of Paul. We see some reflection of Jesus So Jesus comes and lives and dies and suffers for us, and we see some of that in Paul. He doesn't hate his enemies. He loves them. He doesn't complain. He worships. He's suffering, but he doesn't lose. Here we see a little bit of Jesus in Paul. We see a little bit of Jesus through Paul. It's what it means to be in Christ and let Christ be in you. So Paul's identity is secure. His identity is in Jesus Christ. Now his freedom's not secure. His future, his reputation, his health, maybe those things aren't secure. But his identity in Jesus Christ is. And the final thing I want you to see is that others are watching. Here, it was those who were in Rome. For you, I don't know who's watching in your life. For him, it was the church at Ephesus. There are people here in our church as well that may be watching. It was those who were family and friends of Paul who are watching. For you, it's your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors who are watching. And what he says is that sometimes when we're afflicted and life is hard and we're frustrated and we feel like losing heart and we want it to stop, he says, remember, you have this enormous opportunity with people watching to glorify God. So it's okay to say, I'm suffering. But don't lose heart. Let God in. God will be glorified.
Who's watching you? Your kids, your spouse, coworkers, neighbors, enemies, critics, even people you don't know are watching. When you talk about it on social media, you have an opportunity for more people to know what's going on and to watch you than at any other time in history. Who's watching? Well, besides all these, God is watching. And He loves you. And He grieves with you. He's right alongside of you. He's been where you are. And He's now where you're going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the Bible is filled with amazing truths. Just the very fact that Paul is in jail, separated, but he's not alone. Come be with us. Sit beside any of us who are lonely or brokenhearted to give hope to those who are lost. Help us be encouraged to be honest and known and comforted. In this world that you've made and entered, you've also overcome. And that means you're not immune to the hurts and struggles and suffering. You stepped into it. And you give grace to fill us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.